0: Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Dr. Jessica McMichael is a board-certified orthopedic surgeon with a subspecialty in pediatric orthopedics. She's also a wife and mother who experienced all-consuming overwhelm that seemed unsolvable. She then learned The Model from the Life Coach School, which is where I trained, and her life was transformed. She now enjoys the freedom through managing her mind. On the road to finding balance, she discovered a new passion to teach this skill to as many doctors as possible. You can find Jess at www.thecleanbluetowel.com. And don't forget, if you're looking for a quick start to confidence, then check out my free confidence building bundle, which includes all my best starter guides to finding your confidence. You can get that at www.consciousinmedicine.com forward slash confidence. Jess, it is so good to have you here. We have to hit record because as you know, we were just talking, we could talk for a million years offline. Um, So I did the, I did the intro already before we came on here. So everyone knows a little bit about you, but what we really want to know is how a badass orthopedic surgeon feels about self-doubt and imposter syndrome.
1: I've made friends with it. I'll tell you that much, (laughs) you know, I think being a woman in the world on earth, it's kind of baked in. And I was one of these people who kind of had my head stuck in the sand for a very, very long time. And of course, I'm in a male dominated field. um, And I was kind of the one who just towed the party line and tried not to rock the boat and just tried to go along with all of the kind of male-dominated, you know, cultural stuff throughout training and even in practice um, because I really didn't have a clear sense of who I was. And so when we're talking about self-doubt, like there was no self. Mm. It was not even self-doubt. There was no self to doubt. So um, that's been really interesting to kind of like discover that I am a human being, that I do have worth and value just by virtue of the fact that I was born. And I really had to kind of learn that I had to unlearn some other stuff and then learn that piece. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the imposter syndrome, interestingly, um, I definitely have had that to a certain degree, but I had a couple of really, really interesting and powerful female mentors who I don't know if they had imposter syndrome or not, but I just revered them from such an early age that there was no doubt in my mind that I could do whatever I needed to do. Like I knew I could do it and I never doubted that. And I think it's because I had those examples in my life, but more I think the self-doubt part, I think resonates with me a little bit more deeply because like I didn't have a self. I I don't know if that makes sense the way I'm saying that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it does. And I think it's probably something that a lot of people can relate to. So when did you, because I probably the first step would be recognizing that you were lacking that sense of self. So when, and how did that happen? I remember
1: distinctly. I was in a pretty deep funk, I was. Um, this was about eight years ago. My daughter was one. Yeah, so it was like about eight years ago, and I was working in, in um, like at an academic center in Albuquerque, and I was just struggling so much because nobody knew anything was wrong. I was going to work every day. I was getting my job done. I was taking good care of patients, but then at home, I would just be completely empty, like empty. I would barely be able to have the energy to take care of my daughter, get her fed, get her bathed and get her off to bed. And that was like what I lived for. That's the Mm. only part of the day that I was like staying, literally staying alive for. And I remember the weekends I would spend all weekend in bed, just dreading going back to work. And I'm thinking, what is this? Like I was wishing I wouldn't wake up. And that was really kind of like the first kind of like knock on the door. That's, I don't even know what it was. That was just like, this isn't sustainable. This isn't you. Like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Um, It was like a little tiny voice, little whisper. Um, And so of course I didn't know what it was. I, um, you know, I started, I knew I was depressed. I mean, like, it's one thing to know all these things on an intellectual level, after having gone to med school, you can like, look at yourself and be like, well, clearly I'm depressed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Clearly I've had anxiety and blah, blah, blah. I just, I know what this is. And then like on the experiential level, you're like, but I don't care. I don't, I just like Mm -hmm. barely living, you know? Mm -hmm. So I started doing all the things. Like I started prioritizing my sleep. I lost weight. I switched jobs. I called, you know, I called up my husband one day from the hospital and I was like, do you want to move? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. he's like, sure. Where do you want to go? (laughs) And I said, well, I guess we'll go to California because that's where his family was. And his dad was really sick with cancer at the time. So I thought, well, we'll go help your mom take care of him but I was just looking for something to feel better. And those all worked to a certain degree. Like they really, really helped, but I didn't really start figuring out who I was until I started doing the whole coaching journey. And then really um, most recently, I participated in a um, trauma recovery coaching um, program and then was able to kind of unpack where I came from as a kid. Mm -hmm. And then everything sort of like, fell into place, you know, like when you're looking through a microscope and it kind of clicks into view, it was blurry. And then all of a sudden it's all super clear. That's mm-hmm. what happened. Um And then I can recall like my whole life, like not feeling real. I can recall mm-hmm. even hearing my voice played back. I did a lot of theater and a lot of stuff that was, you know, I had the opportunity to hear myself play back. And I'm like, who is that? That's such a mm-hmm. weird voice. It's like, I couldn't even identify that it was me like a human person mm. and i never felt real so i came to f- to learn that that's all like part of a trauma response and it's dissociation it's mm. totally you know trauma response 101 but um that's it and i mean there's more to it than that which i could talk about for hours and hours and hours but the point is is that the um, kind of unlocking of all of the why and where it all came from was super helpful for me. Because once I understood that, then I knew that there wasn't anything wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And in fact, like I'm actually functioning quite well. And my body's amazing that it has these mechanisms in place to keep me protected in a life. Like I came to appreciate it on mm-hmm. such a um, really like foundational level for just like how cool it is to be a human being. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh my gosh, my body did that for me. That's so cool. And now I've just been building on it.
0: That's incredible. And I want to come back to the trauma response that you mentioned, but with regard to the sense of self. So once you were able to, it sounds like there were some barriers and some things that were broken down and there were some realizations about who you were, Mm -hmm. what was the most surprising or enlightening part of that process? Like as you were learning about who you are.
1: Okay. So the the puzzle pieces started coming together first when I learned the model and I started doing coaching through the life coach school, but it wasn't very deep. (laughs) Let's just say it was pretty superficial. (laughs) Um, And then what I was realizing is I didn't feel like I was really understanding my clients. And I under, I'm coaching women surgeons. And I was thinking like, what am I missing here? I'm not seeing some of the things that I think that they're struggling with. And so I did a certification with Carl Lowenthal on Mm-hmm. Feminist coaching. And boy, oh boy, was that like tr- a true eye opener. That was amazing because for the first time in my life, I was able to see the indoctrination that had occurred, mm-hmm. the like just systematic internalization of messaging that was creating my operating manual, right? Mm-hmm. Like it all came from outside of me. And I basically had to then realize, Oh, that is all optional. And then I can start to kind of like, try to figure out what to do on my own. So the cars class was really helpful Mm -hmm. for that. Like understanding the internalized messages of misogyny of it's more than just being a woman. Um, the class was more than about just feminism, but it was about intersectional, um, identities. And it was, Really eye opening. So, for the first time, I was like, oh, okay, I think I'm starting to understand kind of what I went through through a whole different lens. Mm-hmm. And now I can connect with my clients better. And I was just like, deprogramming, I guess, is the best mm-hmm. way to describe it. It's just kind of like when you're playing Jenga and you're just like pushing one block out at a time. And then all of a sudden the whole the whole thing falls down. So that's kind of where it started. And then we just kept building on it and building on it and building on it. And by we I mean me and me myself and I. <laughs> I
0: some of that. Yeah, yeah. And and then the trauma response. I feel like I think we talked about this maybe last time. I think when I came on your podcast about how the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system and how that how that kind of shows up in everyday life. But mm-hmm. I, I, I would anticipate that many of the people who are listening to this listening to this podcast have had trauma, whether they mm-hmm. it's recognized or not. But what are some ways that people can recognize that that maybe there is some trauma that has not been processed appropriately and maybe deserves some attention?
1: Ooh, that's a really great question. If you notice that you're repeating some sort of same scenarios over and over and over again, well, so, okay, let me give you an example here. People pleasing for me. Mm. Like I may not resonate so much with the imposter syndrome, but I can people please the shit out of life. Like I can just people please and people please and people please. And I noticed I like kept getting myself into situations where I noticed that that's what I was doing. And that is definitely a trauma response for me. Mm. Um, so really gaining awareness about like, what's kind of what you're doing, like what, what your current lived experience is like. And if you have this awareness about, are you just like repeating the same story over and over and over again? And if it's working for you, then fine, no problem. But if it's not working for you, then maybe look a little bit deeper there. And just, there are ways to kind of process that a lot of different ways as a matter of fact, but, um, I hope that's answering the question because I don't want to like make suggestions about what people should do. Um, because it's very broad what's available. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes with trauma, you, I just want to be really careful and very sensitive to the fact that if somebody's not ready to face it, um, there are situations where people can be re-traumatized and I would never, ever want that to happen. But if somebody is open and willing to look at it, there are tons of resources, um, and trauma coaching is amazing. Um, there are some trauma therapists. I did EMDR, which was absolutely Mm. unbelievable. Um, yes, super good experience. So, Yeah.
0: yeah, I recommend EMDR to a lot of people. It was, um, fascinating to learn how that works and how effective it can be. Yeah. Um, Lets, I, I love that you mentioned people-pleasing because whether or not it's a trauma response, I think it's um, pervasive among women in general, but especially women physicians. It comes mm-hmm. up a lot for my women I coach yeah. and my patients, really. I mean, my patients are always people-pleasing everyone, mm-hmm. but I found that whenever we talk about, like there's a recognition that yes, I'm people-pleasing. And the flip side of that is off very often fear of mm-hmm. what would happen if they don't people please, mm-hmm. meaning there would be some sort of retaliation or they wouldn't be worthy or it's, it's very much an identity. It's very woven into to our, our identity. And I can yeah. say this as a, as a people pleaser myself, where it, it did take a lot of practice kind of not people-pleasing and, and being really uncomfortable in that, in that scenario.
1: Mm -hmm. This happened like what, like maybe six or eight weeks ago for me. Okay. So I've been, um, I've been in and out of therapy my entire life Mm -hmm. and I've been doing coaching like pretty, uh, pretty seriously for almost four years. Mm. And like literally two months ago, I had an epiphany on this. So it's just to show people how there is no um, finish line with any of it. Right. Like it's just this evolution that can be so much fun. At first it was very scary and I didn't want to look at anything. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to be so much work. And now I'm like, oh, each time this new light goes off it is just like this is so much fun i'm just learning so much about myself and mm-hmm. so there you go like very slowly over time you just start to have all these little like lights go off that are inside of you like little connections are yeah. like little lights going off and you're like that's me that's really me that's mm-hmm. really me mm-hmm. so i was in the or and my partner and i had some words and After and I don't have words with people. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't do that. (laughs) I am a peacemaker. I'm a people pleaser. I don't have words with people. And we had some words. And I texted my husband afterwards and he said, Are you okay? And I said, I think I just heard the sound of my own voice. Ah, full body chills. It's that's how I felt at the time. It was the first time in my adulthood that I can remember not questioning myself afterwards. Mm -hmm. And now I forgot the question you even asked, but what I wanted to point out was (laughs) is that this is a a process. It's an evolution and it's worth it. And, you know, even when you've been working with coaching and you've been working with therapists and you've been working with the public for, you know, your whole life, you're like, uh, you still do it and that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's totally Mm -hmm. fine. But then you start to hear the sound of your own voice and that fear that you mentioned or that concern about retaliation. It's just not so strong. It's not so scary when you're like, Oh, the sound of my own
0: voice is better. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. 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 I love that. I've got like the whole time you're just talking, I got chills. So I love that story so much. (laughs) And one thing that I think is really important to point out is that there has to be some sense of like a foundational love of self yeah. in order to be willing with excitement that you mentioned, like, oh, I'm learning more about myself to love it no matter what comes up because sometimes it's really, really awesome, but we all have our stuff. And sometimes it's like, Ooh, I don't, that part of me is there. And what I found is that having a foundation of, I love myself no matter what is what makes the, the journey so much better because you don't know, it, it doesn't matter what you find in there deep down in the depths of your, of your being. Yeah. Cause you're going to, you're just going to love it anyway. And it's all yeah. fine. Yeah.
1: Um, I have not hit the like love at all times point. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, but I have hit a point where I have so much regard for myself. Mm-hmm. I have so much respect for myself I have so much trust in myself and maybe all those things just mean love. Maybe I'm just using other terms or whatever. I just haven't used that term, but it's kind of like I'm in partnership with myself. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm going to like give, I know that I'm going to give myself the benefit of the doubt, even if I'm wrong. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I know that like, even then, when I had the words with my partner afterwards, I was like, Ooh, that felt different and weird. And I was like trying to process it all. And I was trying to, you know, of course, judge what I had just said and the tone of voice that I just used. And I had so much kindness towards myself at the time. And I was just like, you know what? It doesn't even matter. Like, it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if you're right or wrong. It doesn't matter the tone that you had. You used your voice. That's what we're going to focus on. That is the only thing that matters right now. So it's like that kind of a relationship Mm -hmm. that I have right
0: now. Uh, I think that is love. I think that is love. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Cool>. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's just a lot of um forgiveness and like okay being humanness.
0: Yeah. You mentioned at the beginning, I want to go back to the very beginning about there was this you had to learn that you were worthy just because you existed. Mm-hmm. And that for me took some convincing. Mm-hmm. So are there any pearls that you can offer to those, to those people out there who are resistant to that? Like, I really actually don't believe that I'm worthy without X, Y, Z, like what's something that they could take with them to to start doing that belief work about themselves. That's a great question. So
1: I think this is easier for people who have a spiritual life. mm mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but I think it probably is easier for people to have a spiritual life. But if we're talking about just the straight math of it all, this is so fascinating. And in fact, I'm in the middle of writing a blog post about it. There is an astronomically low chance that any of us would have been born. Mm. Like there's a guy who actually did research. I forget his name. I can't remember what type of scientist he, had. he is, but he tried to calculate like the likelihood that any one human would be born. And I had, I was just researching this actually for a podcast or for a, um, for a blog post. So I had it pulled up the total. So this is the, this is a scenario. The total area of the oceans in the world is 341 million kilometers or 131 million square miles. Let's say a life preserver, a life preserver's hole is about 80 centimeters in diameter, which would make the inside area about 0.5 square meter. So the probability, so imagine there's all of the oceans on the planet and there's a single turtle in the ocean. And the likelihood is that if a life preserver were thrown out into any of that entire area of the ocean, that the turtle, the single turtle that exists in the ocean would would surface and hit the bullseye of the life preserver at the same moment, like, mm. like astronomically low likelihood, mm-hmm. but that's, and it's supposedly like, nobody can prove it. I don't think, but it's like between one and 400 trillion to one and 700 tr- trillion chances. Like that is mind boggling. My mind yeah. cannot even wrap around that. So if that is how special I am, That the randomness of those odds created me and created you and created my daughter and created any living human being, regardless of the choices they make, regardless of if they're, you know, quote, good or bad, regardless of any of that stuff. The very fact that that person was born is such a miracle. Mm -hmm. Like it took yeah. math for me,
0: <laughs> yeah, but I think that's how you have to do it, to be honest, because, yeah, especially for doctors who are so logical and left brain, like mm-hmm. bringing the math in, it actually, it's like it's like the secret back door, right, into yeah. worth. <laughs> It's the (laughs) secret.
1: It is. And you're like, Oh wait, maybe I am special. Yeah. And the way it's really helped me is I work with a lot of people with special needs. And certainly there's like so much judgment around. We have, we've made so many stories about what it means to have like a, like a good human life. Like who, Mm -hmm. who knows what it means to have a good human life. Like, and instead of thinking about, um, I I like to think about what I can contribute to the world. But as far as like the collective human life, like what if every single human life, no matter what is going on in that life, we can learn from Mm -hmm. in some way, you know what I mean? And if we can always learn from that human life, then aren't we all going to evolve? Aren't we all going to move forward? Even if people are doing evil things, even if people are you know, not living the way we think they should be living or having a human life we consider acceptable, like just the fact that they exist and we can observe that life and choose something around it. I don't know. It just, to Mm -hmm. me, has so much more meaning for every single human life, including mine.
0: Yeah, that's really, it's beautifully, it's beautifully said for sure. And before we wrap up, the one thing I want to say and acknowledge is that you mentioned that you had mentors, women yeah. mentors who were part of the reason that you knew you could do anything you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important point because the fact that you do, or you're doing what you're doing, you're paying it forward to so many others who come bef- after you. Mm-hmm. And if nothing else, people who are brave enough to really own their worth and step into that are paying it forward for so many others who are just witnessing it. And you probably will never even know the full impact of all of the, how many people you're benefiting just by being you and owning that. But I just want to say that because it, it matters so much that more of us do the same thing, lean into who we really are and live life on our own terms. So thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah.
0: And I have a link to your website. It's www.thecleanbluetowel.com. Is that the best place for people to find you?
1: It is a good place for people to find me. I'm actually rebranding as we speak to JessMcMichaelMD.com. The website's live, but it's just not fully populated with all the info yet.
0: But so each
1: of those places has my contact information. Perfect. That sounds
0: great. Well, thank you so much. It was so fun talking to you.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: there just wanted to take some quick time here to let you know that if you have been thinking about doing a podcast and it feels really overwhelming, and you like the idea of podcasting, but the other stuff like the editing and production feels too overwhelming, I wanted to let you know about the people who now edit and produce my podcast, which is pretty easy podcasts. And for the first year and a half of my podcast, I was doing everything myself, and I had tried to contract out editing, and it was, really got some really, really bad results. So I was hesitant to try again, but I'm so glad that I did because working with pretty easy podcasts has been so amazing. They can get your shows recorded, posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. You could record from home, your office or the park, or really anywhere. And then they totally cater to your schedule and it's just so easy to work with them. I cannot say enough good things. So if it's been on your mind to do a podcast, then definitely check out Pretty Easy Podcast at prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. It's super affordable and it's so fun working with them. So definitely check it out.